0: You are listening to the Riverside Community Church podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, Riverside. Good to see you all. If you slipped in since we began, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's my privilege to share with you part three of our In Motion series. So if you want to uh, grab your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn toward the back of your Bible to a New Testament letter that was written by the actually the half-brother of Jesus. His name is James. And uh, go to chapter two of that. If you need a paper Bible, there are some in the chairs below you there. Digitally, you can follow along. Uh, always go in the app and follow along the notes there. We'll put some stuff up on the screen. But it's always best when you wrestle with the stuff yourself and take some notes to help your brain remember and then be able to apply throughout the week what you've learned. So for those of you who are guests or those listening in by podcast, let me just kind of summarize. Is where we've been this year. Riverside started a yearly theme back in September. That theme comes from a statement that Jesus made. Uh, in uh, John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus sends this invitation to the crowds that day in the first century and to us as well 2,000 years ago. He said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the fullest. We want you to have a fully alive life. And so in this specific series of in motion, we're examining the fact that to be a person who's fully alive, you've got to be moving. If you're dead, you're not moving, right? But if you're alive, you should be active and you should be moving. And so in each one of these month-long series that we're doing, we're taking different aspects of what it looks like to be a person who's fully alive in Jesus. And this month, we're studying the letter that James wrote because James was very passionate about being in motion. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. We're going to be in James, as I mentioned, James chapter 2 in just a few moments. But what I want to do is... I want to ask you a question, talk a little bit, kind of set this up, and then we're going to dive right into the text. And the question, we'll put it up on the screen for you today, is how do others know that we're fully alive? Do others see that we are fully alive? How do they know that? Because we can just say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a person who follows Jesus. I'm fully alive whatever version of that language you want to use. Maybe yours is a little different. But the question is, is do people just hear you say that or do they actually know by the way that you live that you are changed, that you are transformed, that you are fully alive, that you've received that abundant life that Jesus came to give? Because here's the truth about us all who are fully alive. And and if you would not say you're a follower of Jesus, No guilt or condemnation for me or anybody here. We're glad that you're here, and we want you to come to continue to explore faith, investigate, ask questions, and figure out for yourself who Jesus is today, who he was and who he is and who he wants to be as the person who would make you fully alive because he came for you just as much as he came for me or anybody else in this room. But for all of us who say that we're followers of Jesus, somebody, somewhere, and in some way put their faith in Jesus on display. They lived in motion to where you could see by the way that they lived, by the way that they loved you, by the way that they talked to you, what they did in some way showed you that Jesus had transformed their lives, that they were fully alive. Maybe not perfectly, but you saw a glimpse enough to realize Jesus may have something to offer me and the, th- the truth is, is that as followers of Jesus who are living in motion and fully alive, we're called to do that for others. In fact, somebody might be in this room because you've been invited because somebody wants to put Jesus on display in your life. They want you to experience what they've experienced as a follower of Christ. And that's exactly what we're supposed to live, a real, authentic, genuine, in motion kind of relationship. The way that we revere God, the way that we contribute to the world around us, the way that we connect with other people, all of those things ultimately should not point to us, but should point to the one that we follow. James would tell you, as the brother of Jesus, that his brother put God and faith on display every day of his life. In fact, it left such an impression on this man who we've already studied in part one. If you've ever wanted to know kinda about the family of Jesus, and specifically his brother, go back to the first message in this series where I line out the whole life of James for us, as much as we know from scripture about his life. But he didn't believe in Jesus, but yet he saw God put on display over and over and over again, and eventually it so shifted his perspective in his life that he became a follower of Jesus after the resurrection. And in that process, he penned this letter to the 12 tribes of Israel, Jews scattered around the Mediterranean rim in the first century. And he says this about this whole idea of being an in-motion follower of Jesus. He says, faith without action is dead. In fact, could you say that with me if you would out loud? Faith without action is dead. That's how James put it. Now again, he had to be persuaded that his brother was divine. It was as if he would have looked at Jesus prior to the resurrection, and he would have said, hey, you know what? If you're truly God, put up or shut up, and that's exactly what Jesus did. He put up himself on a cross, and he shut up any claims that he was not God when he resurrected from the dead. He put God on display. That's the resurrection. It's putting God's love and his power on display. And it totally, totally, radically transformed James' life and the trajectory of who he became. It convinced him that Jesus was God. And then James leads the church in Jerusalem for the next 50 years, 40 years, something like that, before he is eventually martyred. Now, James writes some very challenging words. In fact, they're a little in your face today. But in order to get us prepared for that, I'm going to invite you to stand with me, if you would, in honor of God's word. We believe that the Holy Spirit moved upon James and inspired him. And if you're able to stand, I want to encourage you, and I'm just going to read and let you follow along. But James doesn't pull any punches with us as he answers that question, or he wants us to wrestle with that question. How do others know that we're fully alive? James has an answer to that, as did James his brother Jesus. Here's what James says, beginning in verse 14 of chapter two. He says, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? In other words, you gotta put your faith on display for others to see it. Can that, and then he asks this powerful question, we'll come back to it. Can that kind of faith save anyone Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith? In other words, how do I know that you're a person of faith? How do I know that you're fully alive if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you, he says. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Again, he's not, not holding back here on him. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Lord, you have something very intentionally planned for us all, individually and corporately as a church family today. Whether this is our first time or we've been coming for decades, Lord, you want to speak to us. So let, help us, Lord, not to miss what you have for us. Encourage us, inspire us, challenge us, convict us, do whatever you need to do for us to live fully alive, in motion, kinds of lives. We pray this now in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. You may have a seat. So James asks an internally important question early in our text in those verses today about the nature of what theologians call saving faith. Notice what he says. Can that kind of faith save anyone? Now, if you've been around the scriptures and you understand our metaphor that we're using for this year, our theme, fully alive is equated code for saved. Being a saved person, it was a very clear understanding in James's day. It was the idea of redemption and rescuing and coming out of the bondage and slavery that the Jews had experienced, and now it's available for everyone. And so save is code for fully alive. So can that kind of faith, the kind of faith that just says, hey, hope things work out for you. I'm not actually going to do anything with my faith. He says that kind of faith doesn't actually put that fully alive nature on display. Save or fully alive means that you've trusted Jesus enough to follow him with your whole life, and to allow his Holy Spirit to live through you, to receive his forgiveness, to experience firsthand his grace. And James is actually addressing an issue that has been a source of contention and debate in the church for centuries and centuries, actually, the last couple of millennia. He's actually on one side of a coin that's really the same thing, and I want to explain it to you because if you're coming from a background of faith, you may have heard this before. For those of you who haven't, I want to help you to get a bit of context because you could walk away from this being really confused about what it is that we're talking about, and I don't want that for you. So James, he's writing to all of these churches, all these people that are in the first century, and he's trying to help them to see that you have to do something with your faith. You have to live this out in motion. Prior to this letter that James writes, the Apostle Paul, who was also a first century follower of Jesus, he wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus, and he makes some statements that almost seem contradictory to what James writes. But the truth is, is when you look at it all, there's nothing contradictory at all. But I want you to see what this is, because those of you who have experienced these texts before, you may have asked these things, depending on your faith background. You may be wondering about them. So let me read to you the text in Ephesians chapter two, because I want to give a whole picture of this. God, this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says, God saved you, or God made you fully alive by his, help me out, by his what? Grace Grace, through faith, when you believed. By his grace, when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation, or being made fully alive, is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, you might read that, and you might think, well, Paul says that a person is made fully alive by grace through faith, but James over here, he's saying that you really aren't a person of faith unless you have the good works or you have the good deeds, What's, which is it? What's going on here? Are they in disagreement? And I would submit to you that they are not. Again, it's two sides of the same coin. In fact, we're going to see what Jesus has to say about it in just a moment, minute, but let me just help you to put this into context. Let's say for the sake of our time together today that you guys, see these two sides sections here. You guys are the church in Ephesus. You're actually probably bigger than the church in first century Ephesus. You guys are all the folks that James is writing to. So what's happening is, is Paul is talking, and he's writing to a group of people who have grown up in a religious world, who have tried to do everything that they possibly can to earn their way into God's favor. It's about how many hoops they have to jump over or duck under, religious sets of lists and rules and rites and rituals and all of the stuff that religion brings, and they were exhausted. And it was not possible. In fact, Peter refers to it as the impossible road to heaven. And so they're weighed down by this. So Paul writes to them and he says, guys and ladies, it is not about all those things. You are saved. You are made fully alive by grace through faith. Then you begin to experience living out your faith in motion and putting him on display. Now, James, on the other hand, he writes to all the rest of you, and he's saying, you all, in our context for today, in our wording that we might use in Christian circles, you all prayed some sort of a prayer, or you went down to some sort of an altar, or you made some sort of a decision, where somewhere along the way, you decided that you were going to be a follower of Jesus. You trusted in Christ, but then you've not done a thing with your faith ever since then. James says, that's not right either. Don't tell me that you're a follower of Jesus and then live dead. You live alive. You live active. You put action to your faith. Now Jesus, I think Jesus would not be in this camp completely and he would not be in this camp completely. Jesus, as always, is a both and. In fact, Jesus displays that for us on the final night of his life in the upper room with his disciples. His words echo to us today just as much as they did then. It's John chapter 13, and we'll put it up on the screen beginning in verse 34. This is what Jesus has to say about this issue. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love one another. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus says that there is a love that we should be able to access, that he has for us, and that he had modeled for them and for us as we read through the Gospels, that we are then supposed to extend to others. In fact, I would say it this way, love in action is what puts Jesus on display. It is our love for one another that Jesus says will prove to the world. In other words, it's not just enough to say, yes, I'm a fully alive follower of Jesus, but then no one in the whole world even knows that you are. Says so James would say that kind of faith is dead. It's useless, and you need to seriously ask yourself, are you truly fully alive if there's no action behind the faith that you claim to have? So when you think about this love putting Jesus on display, this love in action, the question is a question that I've asked you before, and I'm going to ask you again today, because I want you to wrestle with it. I want it to haunt you a bit like it haunts me. The question is simply this. If love in action is put, put, put Jesus on display, then in every situation that you find yourselves in, what does love require of you? Because if love is going to demonstrate that you're a follower of Jesus and you're gonna put him on display in the way that you love, then you need to know what love requires. And here's the thing, almost every time in every interaction in your life, you, you genuinely deep down inside know what love requires. We just don't wanna do it. But as you leave today and you head to brunch or lunch or wherever it is that you're going with the people that you're gonna be with, What does love require of you? You see, this is beyond an emotion. This is beyond a feeling. And it's an action. It's a commitment. It's a decision. Where we say, you know what? Even if it's difficult. Even if it costs me something. Even if I have to sacrifice. I'm going to do something about this. Because that's what love requires. So tomorrow, it's easy today. Because you're just going to lunch, right? And then you're going to go home. But tomorrow morning, you're going to be out on the parkway. Tomorrow morning, you're going to be on twenty-eight. And then I want you to ask yourself, what does love require of me? (laughs) All right? You're like, nope, I'm setting my Christianity over. When I get in the car, I will pick that back up again when I get out of the car, right? (laughs) What does love require of you, parents, as you raise children in this generation? Students, what does love require of you when you walk onto your campus? Husbands, what does love require of you to love your wives the way that Christ has loved the church? Wives, what does love require of you in your marriage with your husband? This is where the rubber meets the road, and Jesus says, You know what? It's by your love, the absence of it or the presence of it, that you will prove to the world that I'm real and that I transform lives and, the, and the, I am fully alive in you. Now, Jesus goes on that night and he challenges us not to be just believers, but to be followers. You see, believers give lip service to being fully alive. And, and James says, even the demons believe, but that doesn't make them fully alive. It's belief and behavior that go together. Listen to what Jesus says to help us clear this up. John chapter 15 it's that same night that he's with his disciples before he's arrested he says I am the vine you are the branches those who remain in me or abide in me he would say and I in them will produce much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing the fruit that Jesus mentions is the evidence that we are fully alive Faith is where it starts. By grace through faith, we are made fully alive. That life in Christ then produces this fruit, the actions, the in motion behavior of this. But again, it can't just be a private faith that no one else knows because that's not putting him on display. That's not living in motion. You've got to live it out. For other people to be able to see this. Now, you know this, but you're probably not thinking about it all the time. And I want to illustrate what I'm talking about here, because I have an experience multiple times a year that reminds me of this exact situation that we're talking about. Again, where you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but how do people actually know it? Well, they know it by your action. So in a practical sense, many of you over the years, I've come to visit in the hospital, and when I go to visit in the hospitals, I always get a ticket you know in terms of going to pay for my parking and then I go in and I will visit you and I'll pray with you and we'll talk we'll share we'll do some life together and then I'll leave and I will go down and I'll go to the cashier and I will tell them exactly what Bill told me to tell them, Pastor Bill, when I came 22 years ago I will go up to the cashier and I will say uh, you know I'll give it to the person and I 'll say, I need to get clergy validation please and nearly every time for the last 22 years, I get this. And they, and they look at me, and the first time it happened, I was so confused because I, I, I didn't get it, I didn't know. But they are looking for the universal sign that I am clergy and I don't look anything like I'm a pastor, right? In fact, when I say that, they're expecting to see this. But you all know me well enough, it ain't ever going to be that, right? <laughs> I can say all day long that I'm clergy, but I don't look what society says is what a clergy person should look right, right look like, right? So it literally happened. I was at Montefiore this week, and I'm literally there, and I asked the lady, and she said, could you please perform, uh, provide me with some sort of, sort of ID? So I literally pulled out my ordination card. I, have to, I carry this ordination card with me so that I can prove that I'm clergy. Because otherwise, they wouldn't believe me. In other words, it's put up or shut up. It's as if they're, and I don't blame them because I could be lying. I could, you know, in fact, you all, could, go, go ahead and try that. How, let me know how that works for you. Because they're not going to give away free parking and I don't blame them for that and I don't hold them at fault because I don't look the part. James says, you know what? There's a whole bunch of us that he's writing to, and he's saying, you know what? You say this, but you're not doing this. And it's, you can't do that. And so the challenge for us is to apply what it is that Jesus is telling us to do and who he wants us to be. Now, James continues on, and as a first-century Jewish man writing to a group of Jewish people, he believes and knows deep down inside that their going to understand what he's writing about, and he makes some assumptions, but I don't want to make those assumptions today, so I'm going to briefly give you a bit of clue in as to what we're looking at. He's going to give us two examples from Hebrew scripture, one from the life of a man and the other a woman, one from Genesis chapter 22. In fact, it's Abraham's story. The other one is Rahab's story, and she comes from Joshua chapter two, if you wanna write those things down. But these two examples from the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, one of a man, again, one of a woman, show inward faith in God that was put in motion and it actually put their faith on display, in action. And James borrows from their stories to help us get it. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with Abraham or Rahab, let me tell you just just briefly who they were. Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. He was called out of a pagan culture. He was born in Ur of the Chaldeans, and he came out of that and put his faith in Yahweh, Jehovah God, God had promised him that he would give birth to a son. And he was very old in age. And if you know the whole story, the promise comes 25 years later. He and his wife Sarah have a son. His name is Isaac. Isaac is now growing up. And God wants to help Abraham to put feet to his faith, to put action, to put his faith in action. And so God asks him to do something that we would think is horrific, that we would think is awful terrible in every way, and it was then just as as much as it would be today. He asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now, what you need to know, though, in that history, in that culture, in that world, people often sacrifice their children, gods and goddesses, would often require that of people to show how serious and committed you were to that particular religion. God, in doing this, already knew the outcome because he's God. He didn't do this to see what Abraham would do. He did this so that Abraham would see just, just truly how deeply his trust and his faith was. And God wanted to separate himself from all the other gods and goddesses, so he asks for Isaac's life. Abraham goes, and he's about to do it. If you're familiar with the story, God stops him and says, hey, I'm gonna provide the sacrifice. And it's a picture to Jesus all the way thousands of years later. But the point of all this is is the scriptures teach us and the Abrahamic story tells us that his faith was in God and God credited that as grace and mercy to Abraham. This is the way James refers to it in chapter two and verse 21. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions? when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. His actions didn't make him right with God. It showed that he was right with God. You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, and then James grabs uh, from from the Old Testament book of Genesis chapter 15 and verse six, he grabs that and throws it in. He says, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted it him as righteous, notice this, because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God, and there James is borrowing from Second Chronicles and the prophet Isaiah, where Abraham is referred to in those Hebrew scriptures as the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. In other words, people know that you're a follower of Jesus when you act upon that faith that you have, when you show them your card, so to speak, so that it's not just lip service. You're demonstrating it. You're in motion. You're displaying it. And so he uses that as the opening illustration, the example of faith putting into action. Then he shifts his attention to Rahab, and again, Rahab's story comes out of Joshua's uh, experience. Moses has just died. Joshua is now leading the nation of Israel, and he's headed into the promised land now. And the first community that they're going to need to tackle is the community of Jericho. Rahab lives in Jericho. She's a woman. She's a Canaanite woman who's a, a pagan, part of a pagan culture compared to the Israelites that are gonna be birthed out of Joshua and Moses and Abraham and all of that lineage not only that, but she's a prostitute. And so she is a person that we would never think by our own human standards would be a person that would believe in this Jehovah, this Yahweh God, but the Canaanites had already heard of Yahweh God. They were afraid of the God of the Israelites. And so she has faith in, her, in not in her gods, but in the God of the Israelites. And when Joshua sends two spies in, they're checking out Jericho, they're looking into what's going on, when, he, when they send those two spies in, those, those two spies are about to get caught. And in the middle of all of this, Rahab hides them and she shields them and she protects them so that when Joshua and all the Israelites come in to Jericho, their, her life is spared. And she is credited as a woman of faith. Listen to how James describes her as we continue reading in chapter two. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers, those spies, and sent them safely away to a different road. Just, now here's, he's going to make this transition that connects the dots for us in our series. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. In other words, you don't just say you're a follower of Jesus. That is, leads to dead living. That leads to faithless living. Ultimately, you've got to display the fact that Jesus has made you fully alive. Now for the life of Rahab, who again, this Canaanite woman who's a prostitute, she's credited, it's shown that she was made right with God by her actions. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 31 tells us, as she is listed in the hall of faith, that she was a woman of faith. And she was uh, brought into the Israelite culture. She became a woman who lived with the Israelites after they'd taken over Jericho. And eventually she falls in love with a man named Salmon. Salmon is a part of the Davidic lineage. And in Matthew chapter 1, In verse five, Matthew records that Rahab was the great, great grandmother of King David who eventually, her line, David's line became the line of Jesus and the Messiah. And so if you say, there's no way I can ever be that, you're no worse off than Rahab. You're no worse off than Abraham. You know better than them. I'm no better than they are. But God's inviting us, as they did, to put our faith on display, living in such a way that there's motion, there's activity. Now, here's the thing about this. God never asks you and I to do something that he hasn't done or isn't willing to do himself. And so God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit put faith put love in action. They modeled it perfectly, and they continue to model it perfectly for us. God the Father, in looking at our sin nature and looking at our brokenness and our mistakes and our failures, was motivated by love to send his son so that his son, motivated by love, could put on display at the cross and in the resurrection his glory, and his splendor, and to show you and I what love required of our heavenly father was the life of his only son. And his son gave himself willingly for us. He put that love on display, in motion. It was activated so that he would come and live a perfect, sinless life and die in our place. And then at the resurrection, just a short time later, Jesus said, you know what? There's one more step along the way. Let me not leave out the precious Holy Spirit. And he sent the Spirit to be in action. And the church was birthed. And you and I now have that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that same Holy Spirit living within us that enables us and gives us the capacity and gives us the ability to put our faith in motion and to be fully alive in action. And so the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, again, never ask us to do anything that they haven't done themselves. And by his Spirit, we can do this. We can live this way. Our response to all that God has done, that love and his gift of salvation, is that while we were even still sinners, he dies for us, our response is to believe, is to receive that life that Jesus has given for us, And then we live this out fully alive in motion. So we begin the relationship by grace through faith and we live it out every day of our lives, putting Jesus on display in big and little ways. So the question for us today as we wrap this up is would others say that they can see that we're fully alive? Would others say that we live an in motion kind of life that we're following Jesus, can we move beyond the fear of going public with our faith? Can we show people Jesus as Rahab did, as Abraham did, as James did, and his followers have been doing ever since? Showing will cost you something though. Showing that you belong to Jesus will cost you along the way. And I don't know what it'll cost you but it'll most likely cost you some time, some energy, some resources. Might cost you some comfort and some ease. Might cost you your reputation, but I'm telling you at the end of the day, it's worth it. It's worth it. Because there will come, there will come a conversation with Jesus about our action, about our motion. In fact, Paul was all about this. He was all about putting Jesus on display. Listen to what he said in Romans. He writes to the church in Rome. He says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone, making everyone fully alive, all of those who believe. So James would say, Put faith in action. Paul would say, Begin faith by trusting, by grace. And put those two things together just like Abraham did, just like Rahab did. And at the end of the day, live a life of purpose and meaning in motion. That's why we give you the opportunities. Think about even this fall. We've given you opportunities for a food drive, a clothing drive. We tell you constantly about the blessing board for you to be able to serve at the blessing board. And these are things that are all on our website, things you can get through the app. You can come talk to me or Michael or any of our team members. There's a Verona community meal happening this Wednesday night. The last I heard, there were still turkeys needed to be purchased and cooked. If you can't cook turkey, that's not you. But if you can, and you know who you are, maybe that's a step for you to take to put him on display. You say, well, I live in Freeport or Tarentum, or I live over in Fox Chapel. Why why would I be over in Verona? Because that puts Jesus on display. Wherever we find ourselves in the communities around us, there's a fantastic ministry going on in Natrona Heights right now. It's called the Building Block of Natrona. And it's just every block counts and they're reaching a group of people in that area Tricia Ritchie, we partner with Trisha and what she's doing there. And Amy and I go and we serve there some of the most destitute people in our area that we're able to go and serve. We love to serve at the Blessing Board. We're giving you the opportunity next weekend to put your faith on display in one day to feed the world. And that doesn't cost you time. That costs you resources. But it doesn't have to be something that's an, an organization. It's just right in your life. The people that you're gonna go to work with, the people that you're living next to, the people that you're um, doing life with, even in your own home, how will you put him on display? You don't have to be a part of our meals team to provide a meal for somebody. You don't have to be a part of one of our visitation teams to go do visitations. Jesus has invited you to do that yourself in your everyday life, wherever you find yourself. Put him on display. So with that, I want to pray. And we're going to respond. As the worship team comes, I want to invite you just to bow your hearts with me and I want to lead us in a prayer. I want to encourage you as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed to think about who you're going to process this, this week. Maybe it'll be your group. If you're students, maybe you're going to talk to Nexus. and If you're young adults, you'll be at the table talking about it. Maybe it'll be a follow coach. Maybe it'll be a counselor. But where, where do you have work to do in this arena? And who hopes that you'll get to work soon? Who's desperate to see Jesus on display through your life and through mine? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for those who have shown us sitting here in this room, listening by podcast. Thank you for those who have shown us their faith by their actions. They've modeled for us a life a fully alive kind of life, an in motion kind of relationship with you, Jesus. Would you please free us from a version of Christianity that says we have to earn our way to you, or a version that results in a loveless, actionless, anything but in motion kind of way of following you? Please free us from those extreme, unhealthy versions. We pray for opportunities to show those around us that we belong to you. And Lord, we commit to intentionally following through on what it is that you have spoken to us today. Help us, Father, not to overcomplicate this or, or even, Lord, make excuses or blame others for our lack of compassion or our lack of obedience in these areas. We would long to be like Jesus who lived this out perfectly, and who wants to live it out through us. So Holy Spirit, we grant you access to our lives, our hearts, our minds. May we apply what it is that we've heard today. It's in the name of the one who gave us the ultimate example of an in motion kind of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.